We all want happy, healthy families, and that quest for good health begins at birth. Sadly, many of our nation's infants have a much more difficult journey reaching their first birthday than other infants. African-American babies, for instance, are as much as two and a half times less likely to reach their first birthday than Caucasian babies. This disturbing disparity has given rise to a national forum, a forum wherein healthcare professionals, birth workers, policymakers, and family planning experts share information and ideas to combat the scourge of black infant mortality and maternal morbidity. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. We all have a geography bias. We believe that the events happening closer to us are far more important than events occurring hundreds or thousands of miles away. Now this bias means we're often subject to diminishing the importance of outcomes of events that we feel have little or no connection to our lives. When people suffer in faraway lands, we intellectually think, man, that's messed up. But we quickly return to the immediacy of our lives, giving little, if any, consideration. Now, when we begin the GAP podcast series, our mission was to illuminate issues of black infant mortality and black maternal health outcomes. We're building toward an eight-part television series. Now, since we're based in Texas, a lot of our guests are from Texas. So the episodes took on a regional feel, and we're okay with that. But the deeper the dive we've taken into these matters of black infant mortality and black maternal health, the more we are widening our lens to look nationally and internationally. Now, in another episode of the GAP podcast series, we zeroed in on public health and the work of Dr. Kyra Brown at the University of Texas Arlington. When we finished recording Dr. Brown's episode, she mentioned the stunning trajectory of one of her students, a young man pursuing a master's in epidemiology there at the University of Texas Arlington. This young man is from Haiti. After listening to his story, we decided to devote an entire episode to maternal health and infant mortality in Haiti. As you will hear, the true infant mortality rate on the island of 11 million people is about 42 deaths for every 1,000 live births. Now remember, here in the United States, our numbers are hovering around five deaths for every 1,000 live births. But of course, that number for black infants still remains twice the national average. But in Haiti, the infant mortality numbers are nearly 300% greater, and we weren't able to even uncover any accurate numbers about maternal deaths, at least numbers that we're comfortable presenting. If 12 infant deaths for every 1,000 live births is a public health nightmare in the United States, 42 deaths for every 1,000 live births in Haiti must also be considered a public health nightmare. So on today's episode of the GAP podcast series, we're going to spend the entire show with Mr. Claudie Jean-Pierre from Haiti. And I'm going to tell you up front, what you hear in this episode is not for the faint of heart. Let's talk about you and, 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 and your background. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Linda, for giving me, giving me the opportunity to be here today. And uh, like you said, my name is Claudie Jean-Pierre, and I'm from all the way in Haiti. And um, I remember when I was 17, that's when it all started. 
And at the time, we have a lot of uh, uh, people coming from United States. That time I was in Haiti and coming uh, nurses and doctors coming to just support, to give uh, helping people uh, who cannot go to the hospital. And then at that time, I was an interpreter. When I was an interpreter, I interpreted for them. And I figured out there were a lot of problems while doing this because a lot of moms coming with their kids from simple to major uh, uh, medical problems, and they don't have, uh, and those people were there only for a few days. And then I was, uh, I was thinking about it. I said, something needs to be done from that point. So I was 17. I didn't even finish high school. So I, I didn't even know how it's going to go. But I know uh, something needs to be done. And from then, and I said, okay, if something needs to be done, uh, not only uh, I have to go in my faith, but I have to go to somehow uh, to a, 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 a health school so that I can learn to know how to help people better. And uh, after, well, after I graduate and I've been praying about it, and I've, I, I, I get a full scholarship from my church to study theology. And when I was in theology school and I keep thinking, uh, we really need the spiritual part, but that's not it. We need more to help people. That's when I decided to go uh, uh, to school, and I started. Uh, I, I, decide, I decided to go to school for nursing because at that time I was thinking, if I'm a nurse, I think I can do a lot for them. And it's turned out uh, um, in 2016 uh, where I was supposed to to register for nursing school, and uh, I was in UTA at that time. There was a problem with my uh, with my uh, visa because I was an international student, which made me miss the, uh, the, uh, the registration for, uh, for nursing school. And at that time, I think it's going to be another year wasting my time. And I said, you know what, let me pray about it to do something different. And that's, when I, that's how I get uh, to public health. And since then, I really like it. And uh, my focus right now is to uh, helping people uh, especially in the area of maternal and, and child health. Because in, in Haiti, we all understand Haiti is kind of like a poor country. That's one that, uh, that contributed to the major problem of health problem in Haiti. Uh, because 75% of the people living in poverty. And also uh, from that 75%, about uh, 40 to 43% living below poverty. And in the healthcare system, it's, it's pretty much not existed because it's out of pocket. You have the money, you have the service. If you don't have the money, if you have to die, you ha you, you, you're going to die. That's the way it is. So I found being over there, I see something needs to be done some, somehow so that we can improve the health of those people. And that's when uh, I started by myself um, going uh, from 2014, going to Haiti, where I talked to different doctors, nurses, if they can partner with me, and we go in there uh, for a few days and giving me, uh, free medical health. And then after that, I said, that's not enough because it's just something temporary. Uh, we need something that can stand forever st st sitting in the community. People can use the service. And that's what I'm, uh, I'm working on right now. Last year, I went there. I do something we call a need assessment to just figure out what's, what is the major need. And if you uh, heard of the story of this mom, it's, it's really sad. Uh, 
now I'm working on one thing that I'm working on right now is trying to find people that has the same passion with me to get an organization together and then create uh, uh, an atmosphere where people can come even if we don't we cannot give them the service they need but we can connect them to someone that can help them that's what I'm working on right now wow man that is um, that's an incredible vision and and I think what what really speaks to me is that is that you saw a need and you intellectualized it but you also realized that you had to to do something about it and you went on a mission you went on a quest to to do something about the need that you saw and that really that I'll be honest that 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 really speaks to me because cuz so often you know people see a particular need and they're like wow that's really messed up i let me just go get back on facebook or get back on social media and go back to go back to my life and for that moment they have a an emotional connection with it but the emotional connection doesn't resolve to some sort of action and that's what really appeals to me about what what you just said It's important for us to take a deeper dive into the matters of pregnancy and childbirth and maternal health in Haiti. And to that end, we have uh, a mom, Millian Julian, who is a mother of four kids. And we're talking to her really about her, the uniqueness of her birth journey as a mom there on the island of Haiti. So Millian, just for our audience, give us a, a feel and a flavor for what your journey has been like. My first child, it was really complicated for me because I couldn't go to the hospital. And when it's time, uh, when it was time for me to have the baby, uh, I have, uh, I was in labor from Wednesday 5 p.m. until the next day on Thursday 6 a.m. And it was really, really complicated. Question two. Now, what about prenatal care? What are the opportunities that you and other mothers there have to see a doctor during pregnancy? Talk about the availability and access to prenatal care. The prenatal care is something that is very difficult. Even for me, it was not it was not something that I can offer because of it's it's it was it was just difficult for me. And also I know that it's also difficult for others. But it's not it's something that uh, not easy to uh, to get when you're pregnant. So Millian, what about nutrition? What are some of the challenges that you faced in in the area of, of prenatal nutrition? Talk to us about that. One thing that I've, that I've seen uh, um, regarding the nutrition, it's something that is very difficult. 
and then because it's difficult for the other mothers that they cannot uh, really eat properly during pregnancy and the outcome of that when it's come to go to the labor the person uh, uh, anemic because that person anemic you cannot give the birth to the baby because you you bleed if you're bleeding and you don't have enough blood in the body you can see how complicated it is Millian, if you could change or alter any conditions for pregnant moms and for infants there in your country, what would you like to see done differently? One thing that I uh, that needs to be done is uh, create a system where pregnant women can have uh, the first. Uh, we can facilitate pregnant women to get the prenatal care they need during pregnancy. And then the second thing is uh, a way for them to, uh, for the nutrition, we make sure that they eat properly as a pregnant woman to prevent complication. Those are the two things that I have. We're about to go to break. You're listening to the Gap podcast series. Stay with us. We will be back. Hi, there's my bag. <laughs> oh, there's mine too. I've had mine for almost 40 years. Excuse me. Oh no. What do I do? If I help her, I'll miss my bag and I'll have to wait for it to circle around again. Judy, TLC. Travel like a Canadian. Am I hearing Sandra O? Oh? Yes, I'm in your head. I'm also behind you. Hello? Nope, over here. Clock sticking, Judy. Do the Canadian thing and help her with her bag. Right. It's yours? I've been TLCing before TLC was even a thing. <laughs> we just got TLC. My name is Nakia Lawson, and I am so excited to announce a new segment on the Gap podcast series called Let's Doula This. As we talk more about infant mortality and maternal mortality in communities of color and around our globe, we want to focus on areas and ways in which doulas can help advance what's going on in maternal health. So join us as we continue to share in the Gap podcast series, Let's Doula This. Not flying on Air France? Use these products to make it seem like the real thing. 50 foot Sudoku for hours of entertainment. Instant meal patch to keep you full. And champagne gummies to toast your travels. So on your next flight, would you rather take a chance or fly Air France? listening to the Gap podcast series. This is Lindell Singleton, and we're back with our in-studio guest today, Mr. Jean-Pierre, and he is educating us about issues of infant mortality and maternal health in the nation of Haiti. And one of the things that we want to talk about now with our guest is, is a bit about his his personal journey as to how he ended up in an orphanage in Haiti and how that experience really 
shaped and molded the trajectory of his life. So, Mr. Jean-Pierre, talk to our audience about how that experience shaped or changed you, and then perhaps how what life is like for some of the kids that aren't fortunate enough to end up in an orphanage, that end up as street kids. Talk to us about that, please. Okay, thank you, uh, Linda, for giving me the opportunity to answer that question. Um, like I said, um, I grew up at the age of um, 15 or 16. Um, I went, I bring myself to that orphanage, uh, literally, because uh, at that time I have a, 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 I was thinking something needs to be done because I was in a family of nine children and uh, my dad died, and it's only my mom um, trying to figure out how to to help us. And she she did whatever that she can. She's a hard worker and trying to give us uh, what we want. Um, but at the same time, I was thinking it was uh, I I should find a way to kind of make things easy for her. And then that's when uh, I contacted the. Uh, uh, Pastor Gregory Joy, he, uh, Georges, he, uh, the president of that orphanage. I said, I explained him the situation. Uh, could he uh, let me in in the orphanage? And then thank God he said yes at the time. That's the fun day, and then I was in the orphanage. And then, like I said, uh, being in the orphanage, and I didn't have problem eating. I didn't have problem going to school and getting the basic of life. And from this orphanage, that's when I had my scholarship to go to to study theology. Um, but imagine someone living in uh, in the general population, who your uh, your parents is completely living in poverty or living even below poverty, and doesn't have any any anything. So those people are kind of uh, basically starving not getting the the, uh, the food that they need on a daily basis. And sometimes if you eat one time, you're probably thinking when it's going to be the next time to get something. So it is really unfortunate for those people who maybe cannot ha- uh, do not have the opportunity to get to the orphanage or maybe someone, a uh, 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 faith-based organization that can help them survive. So because of that, I think that is pretty tough on people who are living like that. But like I said, I had the opportunity. God gave me the opportunity to be there. So if it was not for God, I'm not going to say, uh, if I didn't go to that orphanage, I would be fair. Uh, because I know uh, one way or the other, God will always helping his people. Maybe God will have another, maybe God had another uh, way of doing things. But the orphanage, I can say, did a lot for me. If I can be the person that I am today, it's because of that orphanage and the pastor said yes to get me in. So how has your, how has your faith in God really sustained you and, and, and shaped you along this extraordinary journey that you've been on? Um, uh, I can say the, my faith in God that is pretty much the center of my life. And it's from, from that point until today, uh, it's always been the center of my life. That's what I, I know, whatever that I need to do, I cannot do it without God. God is my 
uh, he is everything that I have and need. And uh, like the Bible said, we have struggle, things can come. But at the same time, if we believe in him, he will always make a way, even uh, when there is no way. So my faith in God, I can say wherever that I am today and what I will be in the future, it's because of who God make me in the connection that I have with him. So after you graduate from this, uh, the program at the University of Texas at Arlington, are you going to return to Haiti and, and found your organization? Or are you going to remain here in the States and try and build the organization? What's your, what's your, near, your near-term vision for after you graduate? Uh, after my graduation, I will stay uh, uh, I will stay in the United States for a little bit because right now my wife she's uh, studying at Dominican in Dominican Republic and trying to be a medical doctor and we try uh, we are planning for her to do her residency here in the United States to be a OBGYN doctor uh, but, uh, that's a part of the vision because um, me and her, uh, our, plan, our goal is to have uh, together that organization and to continue uh, to do the work in Haiti. So it's probably take about um, on, on another maybe four to five years before going back to Haiti because we want to make sure that when we're going back, we're going back for good. And to do that, we have to make sure that uh, educationally we are ready and financially too, we are ready. And uh, right now, the next step out the, about the organization is to have the headquarter here in the United States, getting some friends who have the, the same vision that want to help uh, overseas. And then from there, we're also going to have another connection to Haiti, based in Haiti. So the organization, when it's come out, so that's what I'm working on right now, it's to have a base here uh, and have another base in Haiti uh, so that um, the base here is going to be the executive board, you know, trying to find the resources that we need. And the one in Haiti is the people the, on the ground to make the work happening. Wow. That is a pretty powerful vision that you have, young man. Thank you, sir. A pretty powerful vision. Well, it, in order to deal with the kinds of, of systemic problems that lead to black infant mortality and lead to such poor maternal health outcomes. It requires people with vision and people with resources and people who are willing to act on that vision and to enlist others in service of that vision because this is not something that you can tackle alone. You need like-minded folks on the journey with you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, anything else you'd like to say before we, before we say goodbye uh, to each other for this episode? Any final comment you want to make? Um, uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you to you and thank you to the team for giving me the chance to talk about what's going on in Haiti, including uh, the vision that I have for Haiti. And uh, um, the one thing that I can say is... Uh, Many hands make a light load. So if we 
uh, any Haitians or any other people that has a vision for the world. And it doesn't matter where you come from or uh, what is your background or what is your, uh, your economic status will be. But if we can get together to do something, and we know that uh, we, uh, we can make the world a better world. And uh, one thing I always tell people, one thing we have in common, uh, may, there are many things that we have in common. One, we are human beings. It doesn't matter where you come from, we're just human. And we have the same blood. If, if I kind of uh, do something in myself, my blood will be red, yours will be red, everybody else will be red. So that means it doesn't matter where you come from, and together we can do something to make the world a better world. What's the number one thing you miss about being in Haiti when you're being here in the United States? What do you miss most of all? I miss, uh, you know, home is always home. Home is always home. <laughs> I still miss Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. So I miss uh, the people and I miss doing, uh, even if uh, uh, I do things when I can do it, like I go to Haiti at least two times a year or once a year, uh, I miss doing the things with people to help them. Because I think God created me this way. I'm a people person. I cannot see anyone suffering. So anytime I see that, it just melts my heart. So I think I missed working with them, being there for them, talking with them, joking, crying with them. I miss that a lot. What about the food? Yeah, the food too. <laughs> I miss uh, I miss the food too. But I um, the reason why I didn't mention the food, it's I can adapt uh, when it comes to food, and I'm I'm really uh, in the healthy side. Anything that is healthy, it doesn't matter where it's come from. If it's healthy, I can eat it. That's why I didn't mention it. But I also missed it, too, because food, uh, we have good food in Haiti. <laughs> yeah. How's your French? It's pretty good. All right. <laughs> We're going to have you uh, say, uh, say good night to the audience in French. And thank you for listening to the Gap podcast series. So if you can remember it and deliver that in French, that would be great. Good night to our or good or goodbye to our audience and thank you for listening to the Gap podcast series. Uh, um, merci avec tous uh, uh, d'avoir uh, uh, tendu uh, the broadcast of uh, Lime Entertainment and je vous souhaite a bonne soirée. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to this episode of the Gap podcast series. Thank you and we will see you for another episode soon. Thank you for listening. The Gap Podcast Series is produced by Limeville Entertainment in association with Sagasse Media Group. Also, be sure to visit us online at 365plusone.org. That's 365plusone.org.